This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, normally, OG, on Monday, we shout out to the troops, but you know what? It is a special week, so we're doing it on Wednesday. And the special week is, wait for it, mom made cupcakes. Cupcakes? Are they the ones with the chocolate frosting on the inside? I know. They're the ones that I eat when I think about how brave men and women are helping me sit here and eat cupcakes while they're doing all the heavy lifting. That is true. Yes. On behalf of the team here at Stacking Benjamins and our friends at Navy Federal Credit Union, big shout out to the troops here at midweek. Let's go all Stacks and Benjamins together. My God, Dukes are going to corner the entire frozen orange juice market. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and ready for a shot of get-your-house-in-order motivation? Well, today, strap in to hear about one woman who paid off $55,000 in debt while chasing her dream career. We'll introduce you to singer-songwriter Cassandra Descent. Plus, wait, some of these crypto funds might not be on the up and up. We'll share the horrible story of Defy 100 and more during our headline segment. Later, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline to Austin, who's looking at diversifying into real estate and wants to get Joe and OG's take. And I'll save time for my Stella trivia. And now, two guys who probably invested in Defy 100... It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Luckily, I thought it was DeFi 200 that we were supposed DeFi to invest 1000. in. DeFi oh, 1000. For the win. Duh. DeFi a million. Who would invest in DeFi 100? More on that later. But welcome to Wednesday, everybody, and another episode of the Stack and Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salcihi, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and you have found the greatest money show on earth, and we're about to talk about not only crypto today, but a woman that paid off a ton of debt and uh, faced a lot of adversity growing up. Our friend Cassandra Dacent is waiting in the wings, upstairs talking to mom, and 
how do you know which financial advisors to trust? So, gee, did you work out? You stretch out? You ready to go? I'm all I'm all limber because my middle name is OG Limber. <laughs> that, that would be a last name, I guess. I don't know. Oh, Limber G. I, I, oh. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> Let's call you Old Limby. <laughs> oh, right. Limby. They call me Stretch. Yeah, it's good. I don't think lumber and I'd think stretchy at the same time. I will say this. I woke up at- Not lumber, limber. Oh, lumber. is a whole different. That is old. Yes. It's expensive. That's all I know about lumber. But I also know that uh, 345, speaking of lumber, I woke up with a big old Charlie horse from all the running I've been doing. That's always fun, by the way, when your ankle decides to go, hello. That's a signal of you should not run anymore. Or drink more water. One of those two things. That always happens when, uh, yeah, when I forget it's all about eating donuts and not running. <laughs> like, what am I, what am I doing? It's, it's silly. We got a great show for everybody today. So let's get into it. No more dilly dallying. OG, no dilly dallying. Well, maybe we got to dilly dally a second longer because first, this episode sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. All right, now no more dilly-dallying. Let's get into the podcast. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines. Bad news for the bad guys, OG, kicking off today's show. Uh, this comes to us from Investment News, and it is written by Mark Schaff Jr. Ex-SEC member targets rogue brokers turning to insurance sales. Study co-authored by Robert Jackson Jr. shows that wandering advisors who leave one regulator and continue operating under another are more likely to commit misconduct. Former Securities and Exchange Commissioner member Robert Jackson Jr., hopes to focus the attention of lawmakers and his former regulatory colleagues on the dangers posed to investors by rogue brokers who remake themselves as insurance professionals. Jackson is a professor now at New York University School of Law, co-authored a recent study that examines financial advisors who commit misconduct under one regulator that continue to operate under a different regulatory regime. If you want to go into the details of that particular story, that is in our show guide, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker to get that. We'll also have a link on our show notes page. But, oh, gee, I want this to be a jumping off point for, I think there is a lesson here that it might be a good idea to ask your advisor, how many, how much moving around have they done? I was going to say, are you going to say, uh, you're not a criminal in another organization, right? <laughs> I do think it's silly that that's not easily reported to other places, but some of this boils down to the hiring group. You know, let's pick on two companies. Let's say that you work at a brokerage house and you get canned because of being a piece of crap. And then you go work at an insurance company. How does the insurance company not, you know, flag that come up and say like, what's up, you know? 
Yeah, somehow they got to flag it. I, I, I don't get that either. But I think we got to assume, based on this, that there's clearly companies that aren't doing that, right? So if the company's not going to do it, I'm sitting across from an insurance salesperson or a broker. It's still got to be disclosed. So you got a couple of different things. Number one, either the person is just straight up not disclosing it, and then that's all sorts of other problems, right? I mean, bad guys are not going to follow the rules. That's just all there is to it. So you can't ask them, right? Are you a criminal in another state that I'm not aware of? What is the bad guy going to say? No, I'm good. You just have to do your broker check type of lookup. And uh, states have that too, if you're dealing with an insurance person to see. But again, this just boils down to like what we've talked about a lot of times when it comes to insurance and your investment plan. If you come from the position of what is the problem that I'm trying to solve? What's the goal that I'm trying to achieve? And then you end up with the solution of that solution is an annuity or that solution is permanent life insurance or something like that. That's an acceptable kind of decision tree. If you show up in some guy's office or some guy more specifically or gal shows up in your office and the first thing is this product, I think that's got to tip you off right away. Good guy or bad guy. That's still not the way that you want to solve that problem. Yeah. Good advisor is not going to start off with product first. Right. And I don't want to take uh, business away from hardworking and honest insurance people, but I also think that that might be a problem, not starting with a comprehensive strategy and instead just diving into insurance. Like if you invite an insurance person to do a quote for you or to counsel you about insurance, once you've already done the complete plan, that could be a good idea getting competitive quotes, but sitting down with a person who only sells whole life insurance and asking them to uh, help you with insurance plan, guess what type of insurance you're going to get? Right. It's uh, it's, there's a lot of square pegs going in round holes that way. By the way, I'm glad you mentioned uh, broker check. We actually created a link to make it easy. It actually is easy. It's brokercheck.finyard.org. But we also set up a link. If you go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash broker check, just all one word, that will take you exactly to that site as well. And OG, you mentioned that individual states also have reports that you can look up and that'll yep. vary from state to state. I think that's frustrating, by the way. Like I came into today's discussion thinking, hey, you need to ask them how many different companies they work for. <laughs> but to your point, they really could have, if, if the dude knows he's a crook, you're right on. That's a waste of time. Well, and you can see that anyway, when you look up their stuff and it could be reasons why. I mean, again, I, I just I just don't know that that's a thing. I mean, how many of us have changed jobs over the last couple of years and a few times at that? That used to be a thing. 20 years ago, it was like, oh, my gosh, you went to three different brokerage companies. <gasps> how dare you? But now it's just like any other competitive situation. If you're a tech consultant, you work at Apple, then Google, then Facebook. Because guess what? They pay better along the way and they give you a bonus to leave. We, took, we work with clients all the time who are going through job changes. But yet in the financial industry, it's like, oh, my God, you worked at Merrill and now you're at Morgan. How could you? It's like, well, guess what? They paid me more. <laughs> like, like, just like your job. I'm, I, you know, I got to put food on the table for me, too. It's not all altruistic. And that's a letdown. You need to say spoiler before you do stuff like well, that. Well, I mean, you know, I get that. 20 years ago, that was kind of a thing, right? You know, you, th there wasn't that mobility. There wasn't the ability for clients to 
you know, also help in that process of changing. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're moving every year, there's something going on, right? I mean, if there's expungements from, you know, sure. there's red line items in your broker check type of stuff, it's worth exploring. I had a company in mine who, after I left, then was the effectively disbarred from the SEC. The owner of the company was stealing money. Luckily, they didn't catch up to you. <laughs> well, what's funny is, is that it's on my broker check, even though I wasn't there during the time. So on occasion, and I can always tell who looks because not very many people ask me about it, but it's there in big red letters. It's like, hey, so what's going on with Brewer? And I go, oh, yeah, here's what happened. And, you know, we weren't involved and it says all that, but but it's still there. You can still see that it's yeah. just like lists everything and then it has a big red line item. He's like, whoa, draw your attention to this. You know, so if you look, you can find out some info and maybe it's like in my situation, pretty innocuous relative to, you know, me and our clients. But, but it uh, still is a great discussion. I think somebody asking these questions just and seeing how a person answers it. I think that we over, we over discuss how advisors are paid and we don't discuss enough how good the fit is, right? How is this fit? Is this somebody really that I'm going to be able to get a second opinion from and maybe one that I don't like, but I still am going to have a lot of respect for them, right? Is this somebody who I can, who can be my partner in my financial planning for a long time? Right. And answering, I mean, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Answering those questions I think is, is huge while, you know, beating them up over and over and over about how they get paid to the detriment of asking what the fit is. I think it's ridiculous. Come on. And don't get me wrong for those of you that are all foaming at the mouth about fees, you still got to ask about fees. Yes, you do. And before people start sending me letters about, no, no, you got to ask about fees. Of course you have to ask about fees, but don't spend all your time asking about fees. I think it's fit first. And then what are you going to do for me? And then what do you charge for that? I get frustrated when people want to talk about fees before they talk about what they're going to get. What am I going to get? And then how do I pay for it? How much does it cost? And then I do some is this a value work? Speaking of a value, some people got in really cheap on this DeFi 100, man. Did you see, did you see this? Well, no, you sent this to me. Uh, did I? You, you did. Okay. Ah, uh, we got this from Yahoo Money. Or you did, but it was all over the place. Kevin Reynolds wrote this piece. Cryptocurrency project DeFi 100, a decentralized finance protocol built on the Binance smart chain. For those of you who know a lot about crypto are kind of people, by the way, appears OG to have been a scam with the people running it, having taken investors money and running an unnamed crypto analyst on Twitter with more than 197,000 followers put the hall at $32 million unclear how they obtained that figure, but we're going to write it here anyway, says Yahoo money. Uh, no, they didn't say it that way, but it was unclear how they obtained that figure. A message to the analyst wasn't immediately returned hours ago. A not so classy message greeted visitors to the DeFi 100 org website telling investors they've been fooled and you can't do anything about it. We'll call it. Yeah. The slightest thing about it. Uh, they used a different word while that page has since been removed. The message still stands. Somebody got ripped off in crypto land. OG. And I play the sad trombone, but this is the Wild West, my friends. 
It's a wild west, OG. Fun times, huh? You win some and you lose some. But don't lose all of your money because it sounds really good. You have to be able to do some homework. And I honestly don't know what homework you do besides staying away from the new, new, new thing. Like, how do I, how do I not lose my ass? How do I protect myself from these scams when it comes to cryptocurrencies? I mean, this is the same thing that we were talking about just a second ago with insurance brokers or people coming from different industries and and bouncing around. You have to do your due diligence. You have to look into things. And if you, if you're just, if you're looking into it is, well, I saw it on Twitter. So it must be cool. I mean, how many times I was thinking about this the other day, completely unrelated, but there was a thread that I was following about COVID and just some other stuff that was kind of, you know, they're kind of talking a little bit about some different things with that. And somebody had a chart there and I was like, and my immediate instinct was I go, yeah, and I, yeah, see, I thought that too. And it's a chart. And I go, wait a second. It's a chart. There's no context. There's no source documentation. And my kids are finishing school my oldest son is in uh, high school English. And one of the things that he was talking to me about was the concept of primary and secondary sources. And if you remember from college or high school, there's the primary source, right? The person or the thing that actually quoted it that you're quoting from. And then there's a secondary source, which is the other person who said that Bob said that, right? Then there's the no source, which, some, which is Twitter, some dude with a chart that supports your theory. And I think a lot of us, we get trapped in that and we look at the stuff and we go, oh yeah, that chart totally supports what I thought without actually even looking. I mean, I could post a chart of Apple stock performance. That doesn't make it right. You know what I mean? It it, it could be right or it could be completely make-believe. So you have to do your own research on that to find out your own primary source of information. And that hit me as I was thumbing through this thread on on this other topic. But I was thinking about how that matters with money, too. Like we read something on Twitter. We talk about stuff on TikTok. Like my cousin's uncle's nephew said that this is going to go up. The dude on Monday. Hey, it's my buddy. He's got a Lambo. He's got to be right. There's all the evidence you need. He's got a Lambo. And then you see those stories on like BuzzFeed and stuff like that. Kind of like people renting private jets for the day to sit in them and take pictures. Yes. You know, that kind of stuff. Ty Lopez is sitting in front of somebody's expensive car at a mansion he doesn't own. And maybe he does now because that dude's bought some serious, uh, some serious companies. Have you seen the distressed stuff that guy has bought? No, I don't even know who that is. So Ty Lopez. Uh-uh. Oh, oh, go look him up. What a piece of work that guy was. Uh, but Hey, but hey, he I made a stuff in my life. I don't need I don't need dudes that are like taking pictures in front of them. But but that's your point. That's that's exactly the point. This yeah, but not anymore though. He's not... got a he's got a Ferrari in his Instagram picture. Sure. Right. Exactly. It didn't prove what's funny is it supposedly didn't prove anything, but he used pictures like that that he now says he didn't own the house he was in front of, he didn't own the cars. Now he's buying all these distressed companies. They own Radio Shack, uh, own a bunch of, they, they buy these distressed companies, bring them online, re- start rehabilitating them. So if you see Radio Shack stuff now about, you know, getting your kids into cool radio electronic components and working with them, I see these ads all over the place. Uh, Ty Lopez behind that. Interesting. 
Well, nevertheless, I think that the point with all of this is caveat emptor. You right. gotta, you gotta just understand like where are you getting your information and who do you trust to deliver it? And if it's the third layer of your cousin's nephew's uncle's brother's friend on Twitter said, because he saw some dude with a Lambo that this is going to go up. It's not enough. I mean, it might be true not enough. It also might be true, but it might not be. So I also think I know that Doug has some, uh, horse racing trivia coming up because it's a big day in that money pit. And I, I had never had any interest in horse racing really. I mean, I watched the Kentucky Derby on television. I think it'd be fun to go to one of the triple crown events and At germ factory. No, thanks. <laughs> what have you seen all the people there? Just oh my God. They're all like packed in. I didn't like, say get away from me. I didn't say right now, but, but I would never, no, never for you. Just forget no. it. Yes. I'll watch it from, I don't know. They have like a, do they have a special like OG section where like everyone is out there and I get to sit right here and watch it? Maybe we find a friend that listens to the show that has, you know, a hermetically sealed suite. It doesn't need to be sealed, but we definitely need some elbow space. You know what I mean? Like away from all those people in the crazy hats. We went, friends of ours love to go and they go to Shreveport and go to hot springs to uh, Oak Lawn, which is an old classic uh, racetrack. The one in Shreveport, I don't even know the name, but it's just, it's, it's pretty sterile, but even, even sterile, but even there, OG, I can get this book. There's a book that I get that gives me data about the horse and the races they've run data about the jockeys, all, all this data. And I'm still taking this money only taking money. I know that I'm prepared to completely lose because it's just entertainment. Right. And I, and I have tons of data for that. And yet there are people that go, my buddy's got a Lambo, so he must be right. And then I take money. I can't lose. I'm doing all kinds of research at the horse track. It seems like uh, crypto is probably something you want to dig into a little more than the horse track. Uh, we're going to have uh don't like talking about upcoming guests too much, but we've got uh, Kevin Rose coming on the show from Modern Finance. And he, of course, is a guy that not only knows a lot about uh, crypto, but also shares our love of all things fintech. So can't wait to dive in with, with Kevin to talk more about this topic. I can't wait to dig into his mind about the funnel he uses when it comes to crypto. That'll be a good conversation. Uh, time for our takeaways, though, OG, in this here conversation. So people get ripped off on DeFi 100 because they didn't buy DeFi 1000. And an ex-SEC member targeting wandering brokers. What's our takeaway? The biggest takeaway for me is you, you, you just got to pay a little bit of attention. That's okay. Just a little bit. Whether it's how you're going to put your money from a investing slash gambling standpoint, i.e. crypto, or if you're hiring an advisor, hell, if you're hiring anybody, how much research do you put into the, to the people that come in to do repairs in your house? Or, you know, how many of us ask for business licenses and workers' comp insurance plans and that sort of stuff? That's just as problematic as hiring a crappy advisor is getting a guy who's not licensed to do roofing up on your house and he falls off and breaks his leg and sues you. 
You know, like when was the last time you had the electrician over your house and go, yeah, I just need to see your card that said like your license number so I can look you up to make sure you're an actual electrician, not somebody who thinks he's one, you know, and that's not impugning anyone's integrity. That's just going, hey, you know, I want to hire a pro. Yeah, doing your due diligence. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, mine is definitely an offshoot of that, which is you talk to any person who invests like a pro, they have a great risk management strategy. And I think that's so important, OG, in no matter what you do, have a risk management strategy. You have to ask what could go wrong. And that doesn't mean don't take risk because some of these people take phenomenal amounts of risk, right? But when they do take that risk, the odds are so in their favor because they've thought through everything that could go wrong that when they move the chips to the side of the table where they're playing a riskier game, they've already thought through the downsides. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And did you know that the one and only Secretariat won the U.S. Triple Crown on this date back in 1973? For those of you who don't know, Secretariat is a racehorse. Try and get out every once in a while. Come on. Anywho, in honor of Secretariat, how about a helping of some horse racing related trivia? I mean, who couldn't use more of that? Because we always tell you to invest and not gamble with your investments, let's gamble today on some trivia. What is it called when you pick three horses and if they finish first, second, and third in exact order, you win big? I'll be back faster than you can bring it down the home stretch. Well, you know what I think about Navy Federal? I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. Want to say a special shout out to uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine, and my nephew Nathan is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. 
Did you know with the more rewards credit card from Navy Federal Credit Union, you can earn three times the points at supermarkets, food delivery and gas, plus one point on everything else. Now, stackers, if you pay your credit cards off in full, you may not know. That's a heck of a lot of points that you can get. Points, though, don't compare to paying off your credit card. So get your debt in order first. Navy Federal has a bunch of tools to help you get command of your money. And much like I had to, I went to cash first. And then once I finally got my act together, I now use credit cards and I use credit cards with reward points. And listen to this. Not only that, your rewards won't expire. I can tell you how many times I've been in reward programs where the rewards expire and you can redeem them for cash, travel, gift cards, and more. Plus the more rewards card is contactless. You can make payments quickly and securely with just a tap of your card. By the way, speaking of rewards, you get a Navy federal auto loan and reward yourself with a car with a lower interest rate. Right now rates are as low as 1.79% APR. Applying is easy You can do it on their mobile app, online, or by phone, and so fast you're going to get a decision in seconds. Plus, with Navy Federal's car buying service powered by TrueCar, and I love this, I save so much money using Navy Federal's car buying service powered by TrueCar, pitting different people trying to sell me cars against each other. I don't need to be a great negotiator. I let them negotiate against each other to get my business. I'm in the market for a car. How low will you go? But also, what features are you going to give me? I had people, OG, during this game, and you got to watch out for this, trying to take away some features of the car and tell me it was a lower price. Uh, It was maybe a little lower price, but you were taking away a lot of pieces of the car I need. So much like we say with your financial plan, begin with the end in mind. What car do I want? Go test drive it. Then use Navy Federal's car buying service powered by True Car. You can shop, compare, and save on your next new or used car. So whether it's your first car or your dream car, Navy Federal can help you cruise into a monthly payment that you can make sure that you afford and that will fit your budget. Navy Federal, our members, are the mission. Insured by NCUA, open to the armed forces, the DOD veterans, and their families like me. American Express is a registered service mark of American Express used by... Navy Federal under license, credit and collateral subject to approval, rates subject to change and are based on creditworthiness, rate available for new vehicles. Message and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information and to apply. Hey there, staggers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and all this talk of investing has got me thinking. It's only gambling if you don't know the outcome. Am I right? I mean, I'm right. So I've got a guy down at Oak Lawn in Hot Springs, Mikey, and now I just need to make one call and bam, instant winner. Will it be Silver Blur, Midnight Rush, and then Tipsy Tuesday, or maybe Silver Blur, Tipsy Tuesday, and then Midnight Rush? (laughs) Am I kidding? Of course, Midnight Rush has this in the bag. I've been told he's the fastest three-legged horse in the field. Heck, the whole county. Fewer legs, less friction, am I right? I mean, it's just all aerodynamics these days. It's science, people. Time to give Mikey a call to place my bet. I I, I mean, investment, wank, wank. But before I do, let's get back to today's trivia. I'm about to place the bet. So what is it called when you pick three horses and then they finish first, second, and third in the exact order you predicted? What's it called when you win? Well, if you said trifecta, you'd be right. And if you're feeling extra ambitious, you could even go the superfecta route. 
where you have to pick the first four horses. But as they say, pigs get fed and hogs get slaughtered. Some history on the trifecta before we bring on Cassandra Descent on her amazing story. Back in 2012, a 29-year-old Connor Murphy was just a stable boy, but a lucky bet would forever change his life. He was working at the Cheltenham Racetrack and decided to place a $75 bet on his boss's five horses. While many would say that he clearly let his heart rule his head, he scooped up a whopping $1.5 million in an accumulator, which essentially is a bet that relies on all horses winning. After I make this call, consider me the next Connor Murphy. I gotta go make an investment. See ya! Cassandra Dacent is a woman who I am so excited to talk to. She's someone I've known in personal finance community for a long time. She used to be a coach helping people with money. Today, she is a professional singer and songwriter. We'll ask her about that, by the way, because I'm always intrigued about people and their side hustles. And even if you're not a singer songwriter, I think the road to success in any, any profession is going to be lined with difficulty and despair. Cassandra's difficulty and despair began growing up as an immigrant. Her mother struggled to take care of her. And you'd think that Cassandra, or I don't know if you would assume this, but you would you would think that someone going through a lot of poverty struggles when things start going well, don't duplicate those. And that is almost never the case. And Cassandra is so great at talking about why, no matter where you started from, number one, you can make it. And number two, you're still going to have a lot of battles. Let's say hello to Cassandra Dason. And coming down to the basement, it's our friend Cassandra Dason. How are you? I'm good, Joe. How are you? Well, I'm fantastic. Now that you're going to tell your story, I've, we've wanted to hear about your story on the show for so long. So thank you for, for doing that for us. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you guys for thinking about me and having me on. So it's mutually beneficial. I appreciate it. Well, let's dive in. You did not have, and my understanding is, and feel free to fact check anything I say about your life because you were there and I wasn't. But you didn't have the easiest childhood growing up. It wasn't full of money. I believe you and your mom struggled with money. Yeah, absolutely. So to give more context to your audience, I uh, was born in Trinidad. I immigrated with my mom to Montreal uh, in Quebec in Canada at the age of six. Do you remember? Do you remember? And I apologize. But this is a story I've heard you say that many times. I've never heard whether you remember that or not. Do you, it's like, I've got some little memories of being six. Do you remember immigrating? I remember the airport, my family, like crying and hugging. I remember being on the plane, super excited. I was all about this trip. (laughs) First time on a plane and it was a jumbo. We landed in Toronto, huge snowstorm. We ended up sleeping in the airport that night. No blanket, I had a light jacket. 
And I'll remember this story in particular, there was a worker in the airport, a black woman, and she took pity on us and she found a ton of blankets for us so we could cover and sleep on the airport chairs that night. And then the next day we flew into to Montreal. So I remember from A to Z, it's etched in my memory. And being from Trinidad, you'd never seen snow before. Like you get there and it's just all snow. Did you think Toronto was snowy 24 seven? Uh, well, you know, my mom, my mom had kind of tried to prep me. She's like, you know, there's seasons and, you know, but she's like, it feels like it's forever snow. So I could care less. I was like, give me my snowsuit and I'm in it. I loved it. I still love snow. I just don't like the minus 40 Celsius with wind chill. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think you could. It's almost the exact opposite of a baseball player who I really like. Austin Jackson played for my Detroit Tigers for a long time. Played for the Rangers, though, uh, for a while, and they asked him how he got used to playing in Arlington, Texas in July. And his answer, I think, is the exact opposite of yours. He said, well, it's the same answer, but the exact opposite weather. Right. He said, you'd never get used to it. You just learn how to bear it. Yeah, you just deal. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is what it is. It is what it is. So, yeah, I, I definitely have very uh, strong memories. They've never left. It was just my mom and I. Um, she gave birth to six kids. I was the baby of the family by a long shot. And when she had me is when she made a conscious decision that she wanted to give me an opportunity that she wasn't able to afford to her other five children. And that meant taking a huge risk and leaving a country that she knew and an entire support system to literally take a chance for really our, her benefit, but for mine more so. So yeah, we struggled. My mom was making, I don't even know how much an hour, maybe three twenty-five an hour at the time. She was a chambermaid at the, the Holiday Inn. She was a nanny. She was like, you know, we talk about hustling, you know, and we've glamorized hustling a lot. But for many of us, especially in the black community, that wasn't a joke. Like we had to piece together money from wherever you could in order to just make rent. At the age of 21, I was already out earning her by like 10, 15 grand. Wow. You know, and she saw my paycheck and she was like, oh, my God. But then she was like, this is what I was hoping for, that you could do better than me. So, yes, we struggled. My mom, I remember another crucial memory was when I was 10, we went to Trinidad on a family vacation. We came back and that Monday she came home from work and she started crying. And I'm 10 years old. OK. And I'm like, Ma, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she's like, I just got let go from my job immediately for me, fear set in because I knew the ramifications of what that meant. At a, as a 10-year-old, you shouldn't. But me as a 10-year-old, I understood that we were on a ledge financially. And I actually didn't even know the extent of it because she had credit card debt that I wasn't aware of. You know, So she ended up having to declare bankruptcy. We really struggled. But my mom taught me a lot about perseverance her faith was hugely important for her and to me as a result. And she just never gave up. And she finally secured a position with the government working as a, a nurse's aide. That was her final career. And that afforded her finally a sort of decent pension. If she hadn't have ended up with that job, I don't know what would have happened in her retirement because she didn't she had ten thousand dollars saved in like a CD. That was it. And my mother recently passed away in January. So for the last decade, I've been financially supporting her. And actually, that's a topic that I actually wrote about called the black tax, 
when Black families have to support their family members because previous generations weren't able to financially set themselves up for success due to racial wealth gap, due to personal choices, due to, you know, societal constraints, all these things come together. And so I actually topped up whatever her pension couldn't afford for her private care. So financially, it kind of came full circle. I've learned a lot through her. I've even made some really bad choices in that period in my 20s because of growing up relatively poor. Well, that's exactly what I wanted to ask you about because there's a powerful part of your story where you also had had credit card debt. And and for a lot of people listening, you know, it sounds like a disconnect, right? You live this life with your mom, you see how much she struggled. So you think, well, naturally then, first thing that you're going to do is get an emergency fund. Very first thing. And not just for you, for a lot of people that's not the case. No, because Part of the my story I can say is that she also just knew basics. Like she tried to impart on me the importance of saving at least because from her bankruptcy, she really did a 180 and never had debt again, had a little bit of money in the bank, you know. So she always tried to warn me about my proclivity for nice things. And I just didn't listen. I was just like, I want what I want. I grew up you know, lacking in in my mind of certain things. Like I didn't have the things that my friends did and I just wanted it. And I went out and I worked and I'm like, well, this is my money. I can do what I want with it. So I completely dismissed her advice and I wasn't really into being responsible. I just was like, let's just live. And so, yeah, I worked my way into about $55,000 Canadian of debt over a decade. So it was progressively and steadily. And then in 2009, I came to the realization that actually it wasn't I so much that came to the realization. It was, um, I think Visa or MasterCard that told me they weren't going to increase my credit limit. Let's <laughs> be honest. Your friends at Visa came to the realization. <laughs> yeah. So that's when I came to the realization. I'm like, yeah, we have a problem. And worse yet, I was working at the time as a commercial credit analyst for a big company. So I'm managing a multi-million dollar portfolio doing extremely well at this job and I cannot take care of my own money. And that's where the light bulb started to shine a bit. And I really did the, you know, back of the napkin calculation to see that, oh my God, this is worse than what I thought it was. I had the ostrich in the sand approach and I really, I don't know what really lit the fire, but it was just more so that I'm like, okay, well, my income is only so much Basically, I owe more than my income at the time. What can I do about this? What do I need to do about this? So I just really went all out. I gave up my condo. I went in as a roommate for the first year. Actually, even before even before we get to yeah. that, because I really want to dig into that. But you've said you've had three things that I want to unpack for our audience before before, sure. before we get to that. Because you've said <laughs> I told you it's a lot. <laughs> but yeah, you, you've said so many powerful things. Uh, because we see this all the time. So it sounds like, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like to some degree you feel deprived. I did. I got into huge credit card debt also. And I remember when American Express gave me my first card, I'm like, I am no longer depriving myself. And and look at American Express's ads even today, right? You deserve it. Like, man, I, exactly. I got caviar wishes, baby. And now I can, I can step up and spend all this money. So between the marketing, the fact that I didn't have this stuff, we didn't go out to eat. It's no right. mistake that my first, my first credit card expense was treating all my friends to this high-end restaurant called Ruby Tuesday. 
I don't know if you're familiar oh, with a very high yes. end restaurant, exclusive. No, yeah, not, not at all. No, not, but, not, not anymore anyway. <laughs> but, but I do remember the bill coming and me going, Hey, I got this. And partly to show that, you know what? I, Hey, I can, I can take care of all my friends. I've been taking care of my whole life. Now I'm taking care, totally not realizing there was a bill coming. Like, I don't know where's the, when you coach people, where you, yes, because we see it all the time. Yeah. Well, that happened with me too, because I remember my first credit card was the $500 credit card limit over the moon happy. I went to the mall and I spent the entire credit limit in one shopping trip. Like it was done. I really didn't realize that, like you said, a bill's going to show up in 21 days and you're going to have to pay, if not all of it, a portion of it in order to keep, like, I had no concept of credit score, a credit report. How, how does credit work? That essentially you're borrowing from somebody else. There's interest. None of that. I had, I was just like, someone told me, get a credit card. You're going to, you know, it's going to make your life happier. Sure. I signed up for it. And so many people just get captured by that between, like you said, the marketing and the need to, for me, it was the need to show others that I was successful. I grew up in a predominantly white Anglo-Saxon neighborhood. I went to schools, very good schools where majority of the population was actually Jewish. So I was, I was in high money circles. So I really saw lifestyles and, you know, going to my friends' homes were like five bedroom homes Literally, and I'm like from like a two bedroom apartment. And that was good because in the early days we were in a studio. So I really lusted after things that I didn't get to experience. And that got me in a huge amount of trouble, not only financially, but yeah. psychologically, even more so. Absolutely. Because you're connecting the wrong things. Exactly. Yeah. And you're now choosing to value yourself according to how you want other people to see you. You then diminish your worth. You don't even know your worth because you haven't even done that introspective work to decide who do you want to be? What do you want your money to reflect as opposed to seeing someone else's vision of how they're using their money and saying, oh, I want that. You don't know what you really want. I didn't know what I really wanted. So I had to fail, fail hard in order to take the steps back that I'm trying to save other people from doing. Like, I want you to like skip the horror story and do the inner work and discover what your relationship with money should be for you and how it's going to accentuate you as a person and for you to live a better life, a healthier life. Oh, that's such another rabbit hole for us because, because <laughs> as you know, we don't want to have that conversation. We want to get to the happy ending that you're talking about, but we don't want to have that conversation. I do not want to go deep on any of that stuff. No, no, nobody wants to go deep, but it's like, you know, it's kind of like, why do we like pain so much? I really sometimes question that. Like, you know, we enjoy the ride until the ride ends and then we're sorry about taking the ride. And I'm like, okay, how do we reframe that whole experience in our brain to say, we don't need the ride to get to there. We can actually get there much sooner if we were just more responsible or, or made it more appealing in a different way. Like we have to learn to talk to ourselves. And, and, and that's something I think in the financial education space, we're still trying to figure out how do we help people skip the damage control part and, and get to the happier sooner because it can happen. It's just about really rewiring notions and concepts that we have about money, reframing how we view money, you know, from some coming from a, like a religious background, you know, a lot of us were taught that, you know, we shouldn't aspire to wealth. 
We should temper our expectations and just be grateful for what we have. A lot of these conversations are baked in and we have to unpack a lot of stuff in order to get to the truth. Well, and it's funny because you got the religious stuff on one side and then you have your community on the other side that's telling you I should have more, right? And so right. you've even got these conflicting, I don't know, inadvertent philosophical uh, I'm thinking of people sitting on your shoulder, you know, yes. and they're both kind of yes. yelling at you. Yeah. They're all over, like they're all over your body at this point, because then you've got also like your family who might start to see you succeed. Right. And they necessarily haven't gone up in economical status and there's resentment, there's anger, there's judgment, you know? So there's a lot that, that money evokes. You, you, met, you mentioned your career and you said you're, you're managing a multi-million dollar portfolio at the time. I just imagine with the upbringing that you had, that you're definitely a hustler and not once again, because you want to do extra, but because you realize if you don't, you're not going to be able to eat like that's a, yeah. that's a vital thing. But you casually mentioned you're managing of millions of dollars. What were you doing? I was a credit analyst for Oakley for over a decade. I'm approving credit lines for all of the suppliers and stuff. And, you know, some of these companies are massive. Some of these are multi-billion dollar companies that I'm working with. So I'm following very stringent rules in terms of approving, in terms of granting credit, right? So it's not like at this point in my life that I don't know what I need to know, but I'm choosing not to apply it to my personal life because corporate, that's my job. I've got to make sure that I do that correctly. But I didn't make the connection that, well, in order to earn more or in order to ensure my life is secure, these two actually correlate. These actually, they should have seemed together, yeah. but better late than never. In terms of what I did, like you talked about hustling. So I'm a singer, songwriter, and producer. I've been trained as a classical musician since the age of six. Up until that point, I'd never really been charging people for laying vocals or writing music or performing. I'd just been doing it as a cute little hobby. Again, the religious aspect, because I'm supposed to be sharing my gift. I shouldn't be charging, la, la, la. Well, $55,000 debt, I was like, yeah, no, that <laughs> we're going to change that. <laughs> so I started charging big time. I was still acting in movies at the time. Um, I was in the union. So I was making money. 10 different ways. And then I read a book called The Secrets of Six Figure Women by Barbara Stanny. That for me was life altering. It made me recognize that I was a serious under earner. And long story short, I leapfrogged my way into a career in STEM. So I started with my current job as a credit analyst and there was a position in electronic data interchange. Nobody wanted the job because nobody knew what it was. It was technical. Everybody was like, nah. And I saw it as that's my get out of like jail debt opportunity card. So I pitched it to my manager and I'm like, send me to boot camp. I swear I'll do everything I can to learn it and do a great job at it. And she accepted. It was a challenge, you know. And next year I got a $15,000 raise. From there on, I just started taking more certifications. And then I ended it up in an engineering company as a, a project engineer and hit six figures, you know, by this all by this time I had immigrated to the States in 2013. So all this was kind of happening while I was paying off debt, while I got debt free. A lot of stuff happened to me in that 10 year decade. And yeah, I hit the six figure mark when I landed on American soil. But if I hadn't have done that, 
if the debt didn't motivate me, I don't think I would be really where I am today, sitting in a position of, of blessing financial blessing. And where was that exact low point? Was it getting the letter from Visa MasterCard that they wouldn't extend your debt? Because nearly everybody I talk to that has that kind of debt has a point where they're like, I just can't do this anymore. Was there one lever moment? I don't think there was one clear lever moment. I I recall definitely getting the statements and like doing the math and looking at my paycheck and, and really putting the numbers together. I was sitting in my living room in the expensive condo that I shouldn't have been in, basically looking around at my surroundings and realizing that, oh, I caused this. I'm responsible for where I am. Other than not using the information and knowledge that I had acquired, I really didn't do right by myself. And my mom was disappointed in me. That hurt. Mm. Like for my mom to be disappointed in me because she really tried to protect me and, and to kind of veer me off the path. And I didn't listen. And what, had you she couldn't believe it? I had. Had you shared it with her? Yeah. You must have shared it with her then. Oh, yeah, I did. I did. Because she was like, why are you moving? She's like, why would you give up the place you love? And then I really broke down and like bawled to tears. And I told her what was happening. And the look, Joe, the look, <laughs> I can't even replicate the look on her face was just like, if she could only slap me one, like she, she would. That would have been, would, would a slap have been better than the look? Yeah. With yeah. my mom. Yeah. 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 Because she didn't talk to me for a couple of days after. And I don't think I've told this part really the story, but yeah, she didn't talk to me for a good two, three days. And for her to go silent was devastating because for our connection was so strong that we were always talking every day. So for her to shut me off was very painful. It was almost as painful as being in debt, to be honest with you, because her validation of me was extremely important. I wanted to pay it off in five years with all the hustle and the the raises and everything. I got it paid it off in three and a half. And I never looked back. You talked about earlier, and, and that's when I stopped you because I wanted to go through all this. For a lot of our listeners, though, of course, the exciting thing is what did you cut? What did, and, and by the way, I'm less interested in this than what made you change. I'm much more interested yes. in what made you change. But let's go through that tactical stuff then. So tactically, sure. you said you got out of the expensive condo, but what else did you do? And And we can't let this go you actually went for more money, which I think a lot of people also forget. And you see, you talked about women earlier. You know, a lot of women studies show they don't ask the boss for a raise because they're afraid that they will upset the apple cart. So yeah, finding more money is, I think, a great part of your strategy. But walk me through it. What are some of those tactical sure. things? So I understand this is important for people because some need guidance, right? So definitely I cut my expenses by at least 50%. I got rid of the condo, as I said, I moved into the shared living. And for me, that was humbling because I don't share <laughs> like space. That's not me. I don't share space. So for the first year, I pulled the bootstraps really, really tight. So then I just had a set amount of money I was paying as a roommate. I negotiated cheaper car insurance. I negotiated cheaper credit card rates. So people are thinking that you can't call your creditor and, and try to negotiate down your rates. You surely can. Wow. And I remember calling one credit card company three times before I got the right agent who was going to help me. Wow. So persistence also matters in, in this situation, right? Don't accept the first no. So I did that. I consolidated to a cheaper loan because I still had decent credit. It wasn't like I had been late on my bills or it was horrible, right? So I was still in a position I could maneuver. So I did the zero interest rollover to a card and started like, you know, paying that off. 
Oh, yeah. I, from that point on, I still had a car payment. When I made my final car payment, I vowed I would never have another car payment again. So look, car payments are not necessarily bad, but if they're $500 a month and you're making like 45 a year, yeah. that's not good. That's not good. <laughs> so that was another, cho- I started just making more conscious choices of, I still traveled, but I, instead of taking a plane, I would take a bus or I would drive. Like I st- I stopped being shishi poo poo, basically. <laughs> I'm a diva. I'm a, I'm a self-pronounced <laughs> diva. I like nice things, but I started to live within my means. I started to realize like, I, I can't go to Paris on first class because I feel like it. Cause that's, I used to do that. Like, do I want to be debt free or do I want to be, you know, in debt and, and pretending like I reached a point emotionally where I was like, I'm not who I say I am. Yeah. So let me just be who I am. Yeah. You know, until I can have more that I can support that, you know, I just stopped pretending. Let's I'm being honest. I just stopped pretending and I started letting my money dictate what I could and couldn't do at that stage. When I was deep in debt, I had started hiring coaches to help me get out of it. And I remember a great coach that I had for a while. I was looking at moving from our really crappy rental house that we were in to a much nicer rental house. And we were going to stay in the area. So for us, buying was the right decision, where for many people, Mm -hmm. renting is the right decision. But for us, buying was totally the right decision. But I had horrible credit. I had all this overdue debt. I couldn't afford all this stuff. And I remember telling my coach, I'm like, yeah, we're going to go from paying, I don't even remember the numbers, but paying X to X times 40%. And she said, why would you do that? And I said, well, but it's so much nicer. We had the twins that we can live in this nicer neighborhood. And she said, at this point in your life, and it goes to exactly, I think what you're saying, she said, would you rather wake up every day realizing this isn't where you want to be? Or would you rather wake up every day pretending like things are okay when you know they're not? And for that reason, we stayed in the crappy house paying less and got to the point that we were, but it's a tear. I mean, it's this, and I, this word is so overused, but it's authenticity, right? It is what yeah. it is. It is what it is. It's just like, I reached a point where I'm like, I don't even know who I am with all the trappings. Like you strip that away. Like, who am I? What do I want in life? You know, what do I, what do I really value? You know? And for me, I was finally able to carve out that my family is number one. It's been number one since that journey. And I've proven it in the way I spend my money in the way my spend my time. Like you start to really shift. I did anyway. I started to really shift and align my values in accordance with how my money was getting spent. So it was a direct, it is a direct, and it still is a direct reflection. How you see me spend my money. I'm big on giving. I'm big on family. I am big on travel because travel helps me to get to my family. Right. And even then I'll still look at, okay, I'm not going to really find business class in like the, you know, USA, cause it's not really an experience for me. For me, like, you know, three hour flight to sit in business classes. Like I'm not getting value from that. Yeah. Flying business class to go to Amsterdam or Australia. Now we're talking and still I can try to hack that if I wanted to. Right. So I really started getting smart about money and, and started understanding that relationship that money is good. Money is great. Actually, Joe, I love money because I love that m- my money can help me do things for others and create a life that, I'm really happy to live. Like I'm living a really, really good life. And I don't take that for granted. And I don't take that lightly at all, especially from where I've come from. 
If people want help from you, I, I know, I think you do some coaching of, of. I used to, I used to. So like, I know everyone, and then people are like, you don't coach anymore. And I'm like, it's really on a, like as a per need basis, just because you have to start again. Time is sacred for me, right? I've come to a, a level in life where financially I can afford to choose how I accord my time. It has nothing to do with money, but yet it does. Like I'm launching a new single in the next four months, right? So my energy and my time is focused on music at this point, right? But again, to to help your listeners understand the trajectory of what getting out of debt can do for you is that that's ground zero. You know, once you clear your, your, your consumer debt, this to me, the sky is the limit. That's when you can really begin to start exercising your dreams and to live the life that you really hoped for, you know, so I can afford to throw thousands of dollars into production of a video and whatnot and not sweat it because I'm in a place of of fruit. I've, I've reaped what I've sown. That five year or three and a half year period that set me to gold zero. And from there to now where like we're not far from financial independence. I would say we're like seven years, six years away. Cool. That's short time from going from 2009 to now. Yeah, like, do the math. From a late start to there. Very late start. I was in like in my late 30s yeah. when I started contributing to my, my 401ks here. It well, can be done. That is a great place to end it. I guess I'm just going to have to link to your music then. Gonna, yes. <laughs> I'll just link to your music. We'll link to your website. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. It's just so powerful and I absolutely loved it. And thanks for sharing the time. I appreciate it. And thank you to your listeners as well. Oh, thanks again so much to Cassandra for hanging out with us. Powerful story, OG, about staying, staying on top of it and you can win. I've said before that uh, every money mistake that people have made, I've done twice once to because I didn't know any better in the second to double check to make sure it sucked as bad as I thought it was. Just R and D. And it's true. You know, there's sometimes we, sometimes we don't learn from our past or our previous mistakes and it takes a time or two to kind of <laughs> relearn that, but that's okay. As long as you're learning, you know, I love you this get- idea that she thought that she deserved a better life. And certainly she did, but the way to get it, as she so eloquently told us, is by keeping a finger on the pulse. If you keep a finger on the pulse, you can have it, right? What's, what's uh, our friend Paula saying? You can afford anything. Yep. Good stuff. By the way, back to Doug's uh, trivia. I love how you went right to the super trifecta. You didn't even bother with the trifecta, do you? You're like, nope, I'm betting on four, four not three. Nothing. Yeah. Four or nothing. If I'm, if if I'm blowing 20 bucks on the race, I'm going big. And when you hear a story, like Doug told us about uh, this 29 year old stable boy turning $75 into 1.5 million. That was a lot like Doge. It totally gets you into that gambler mentality. Could be me. Why, why wouldn't it be me? Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Hey man, it's summer. We're after Memorial Day. So, uh, yeah, like red solo cups and flip flops. That's, oh, there you go. Kind of the motif for the next few months. And that's just a better way of saying what they got here for me, OG, which is your loved ones and your time. And that's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. 
who wants to spend a lot of time on insurance apps. So they cut it into shreds. I remember going through about 12 pages with people back when I was a financial planner, very quick, got rid of all the questions they don't need to know. Prices are affordable. All policies issued by the parent company, Mass Mutual, which is more than 160 years old. And of course, you'll get an instant coverage decision. But today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to our friend Austin. Say hi, Austin. Hi, Joe and OG. Looks like Joe wants me to put in the work of calling in. So here it goes. I'm a mid to late 20-something. My wife and I have a decent nest egg in the stock market for her age. Uh, mixed between pre-tax, Roth, taxable. I'm curious about a comment I heard you make a couple months ago, Joe, and that you sold out of your rental real estate assets. I'm curious why this is. Is it because the market's hot? Is it because of the three T's being a hassle? I ask this because I'm looking to diversify out of the stock market, but I'm not sure if rental real estate is the best course of action. To add context, I even read one of the Rich Dad Poor Dad books recently, one of the follow-ups, not the original one, and it continuously hammered home how leveraged real estate's the best investment. I'm pretty wary of this, though, because of one key word, leverage. And it's another reason I really like the stock market instead without using margin. Uh, other than low interest rate, student loans, sub 4.5%, and a mortgage, sub 2.75%, my wife and I don't have any debt. I would be concerned taking on a ton of debt in rental real estate and risking not having enough coming in from them to cover expenses. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are there. Also, as a side note, thank you both for what you do. And I'm willing to bet you've made a positive change in a lot of people's lives with your work. Thanks, Austin. Oh, thanks for that, Austin. And for clarity about what Austin said there at the start, he wrote me that question, OG. And I said, dude, I can answer this, but uh, I can also help some other listeners, help some other of our stacker family with the answer if you uh, call in. And obviously, like all of our stacker family, we'll also uh, send out a Haven Life Greatest Money Show on Earth uh, shirt. Now in Kelly Green, by the way, new and improved. V2. Double soft. Yeah, I'll start, I'll start off the personal piece of this OG, and then let's bring you in about owning real estate because you own real estate. My son owns four real estate properties, and I helped him get involved in that area. It just very simply, Austin, you lead with what you know. The hull of that ship of your strategy should be something that's going to help you reach your goals, and it's got to be something you has a history of getting there. Now, real estate, historically, if you look at the North American uh, Real Estate Index, the NAREED Index, and you look at the S&P 500, over long periods of time, they kind of got you to the same place. So you can go with real estate and have a smaller uh, number of uh, large company stocks, or you can have large company stocks as the basis of your portfolio and uh, use real estate on the side. I was, from the very beginning a real estate investor by proxy. I had a house. It didn't sell. I also knew that I, uh, that I talked a lot about rental real estate and I had friends that had done very well in rental real estate. So I decided that, that I would jump in on a long-term basis and just hold this property. So from 2009, when I left Detroit to 2020, so for 11 years, I owned this rental real estate. I absolutely hated it. I hated everything about it, OG. Even with the appreciation that we made over the years, I couldn't stand it. Uh, I didn't like the calls from my renter. I tried using uh, uh, management companies 
just, it just wasn't for me. And yet when I compared my experience of all the work and the hassle and the tax stuff that I did for this piece of property versus my gains in large company stocks, I decided instead for me, for me, a REIT was the way to go. Now we look at uh, OG, we look at, at what you're doing. I look at our friend Paula Pant, who does very well and loves real estate. All of our friends at Bigger Pockets, we've had David Green on the show. Josh Dorkin is a friend of mine, the creator of Bigger Pockets. Uh, Scott Mindy from Bigger Pockets Money. I mean, all these guys. Brandon Turner, how many times has he been on our show, right? So I look at how successful real estate is, and I'm a fan of other people. And I've been in it, so I think I'm qualified to talk about it. By the way, I advise my son, who owns four houses at uh, 25 and aggressively trying to grow his network of houses. And by the way, he's using Austin, a strategy that we like. And David Green from Bigger Pockets talked about it on our show. It's called the Burr Method, where you fix up a house, you then use the equity from that house to expand your empire, right? And the downside, if you do that right, it's leverage. But with your downside minimized, we talked earlier in today's show that you have to have, have to have a risk management strategy. And what I like about the Burr method of using leverage is that you're thinking about what could the downside be. And that's outside the scope of today's discussion. Go back and listen to our interview with David Green. You can buy his Burr method book. My son has successfully used that to, in a short time, get rolling. And by the way, he started a year and a half ago and is at four houses now. So for me, that's, that is just very simply, it just isn't for me. I get it. I like it for other people. I think it's a way to win. Just OG doesn't fit my personality. Yeah. I'm debating whether or not to answer this phone call that I'm getting. It's the caller ID says telemarketer. <laughs> like, talk about. Answer talk it on about, the air. You should answer it uh, on the air. I wish I knew how to do that. I would have oh, done I'll that. share that. I'll share that with you. That would have been funny. Then we could have like real people call in. Not just this Austin fellow. <laughs> but let's talk about the rest, OG, about you in leverage, right? And you in real estate. Yeah. And, uh, I'm an expert at leverage. Well, <laughs> no, I mean, here's, here's what we're doing. We have a couple of buildings. I would walk from them if somebody offered the right price because I don't care how it comes to me. I will take money, whether it's appreciation, cash flow, long term, short term, whatever. I don't care. Like, I'll take the cash. But everything that you've said is exactly true about our experience as well. We get the stupid phone calls. We have a property manager and we still get stupid phone calls. The latest ones that came every day for three days starting last week, uh, Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday was, hello, uh, this is the water department. Uh, you used water every minute of the day yesterday, which means you have a leak. And I'm like, well, there's 11 units in that building. Is there any chance? She goes, no you use 9,000 gallons of water. So you have a leak. I said, okay, we'll go check it out. Call the property manager. Property manager doesn't answer. Leave him a message. He calls me back like four hours later. Hey, what's up? I saw you called. Yeah. Did you listen to the message? There's a leak at one of the, uh, you know, it's somewhere. Oh, okay. We'll get somebody over there. To look at it. Day two. Hey, it's the water department. You used 10,000 gallons of water yesterday. Okay, great. I'll call the property manager. Hey, did you guys find, you know, it's just that for three days, you know, we're still dealing with it. I think that over the long run, my goal is to break even from a cash flow standpoint until they're paid off. 
I'm not afraid of the payment because I can make it if there's no tenants, I can still make the payment. That was kind of our criteria about it. You know, like if nobody rented anything, could I still make the payment and put food on the table? And the answer is yes. So I'm okay with that, but that wouldn't be ideal, obviously. So I think the jury's still out as to whether or not it turns out to be a good idea or a bad idea. But Austin kind of talked himself into not doing it throughout his question. Like, I don't like leverage. I'm suspect of it. I kind of like what we're doing right now. I feel good about investing in stocks, et cetera, et cetera. You can be as diversified as you need. This is the biggest myth, I think, with all of this. Like, oh, I need to be diversified. How by owning one property or four or whatever number you want, how is that diversification? Putting a whole bunch of money in one single thing in one town on one block on one address that is not at all diversified. That's going the other way. So don't use that as like your justification of, of well, you know, I've got too much stocks. I'm, I need to be diversified. You have too much stocks. Like what, what kind of nonsense is that? You have the 500 biggest companies in the universe. That's diversification. Taking a portion out of that to go buy a three bedroom condo is not diversification. That's concentration. So that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. That doesn't mean that it's not going to work. That doesn't mean you won't be profitable. It just, it's not what you think it is. If you're searching for diversification, buy a REIT, buy uh, a small company stock fund, buy an emerging market fund, go invest money in foreign countries. You know, they've got all those lending programs where you can lend to small businesses and up and coming countries and, and, and help, you know, that's diversifying your equity investments. I don't see buying a single family real estate or apartment building or whatever it'd be in diversification. So if you're not a fan of leverage, if you're not a fan of answering the phone at two in the morning from the guy who said, Hey, I blocked the toilet or the water department or dealing with leases or dealing with people who break leases or dealing with people that have COVID and don't pay their leases or dealing with attorneys who have to go to court to get the people who don't pay their leases to get out of their leases. Well, you know, if that's not your jam, I think you answered your own question probably not your thing. And guess what? This is the greatest news out of all of this. You will still be wildly successful. Many paths to victory here, which is the most exciting part, which also leads me to believe that whenever you see these people online who tell you that you should invest in stocks, not real estate or real estate, not stocks, or you should uh, do one thing over another, if they have to downplay the other thing to make their point about the thing that they are suggesting that you do, uh, I run from that because there are multiple paths to victory. Austin, last thing uh, that I will say that has been true for OG and I, and uh, also our friend uh, Paula, the guys at uh, the men and women at bigger pockets will tell you this. You want to have a sizable emergency fund. Even if you take on leverage, uh, you still are going to need OG for all of these issues that you brought up. It means uh, being on that that big side of the emergency fund number. I would not own a piece of real estate without a sizable emergency fund. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I had to fix three toilets, and now we're talking about just fixing all fourteen. Yeah, too you know, much. Because, you know, you go well. That's it's fourteen toilets, big deal. But it's fourteen toilets, and then next month it's the roof, and the month after that it's. Who knows what it is? It could be nothing for a long period of time or a whole bunch of stuff for a short period of time, you know, so. 
Thanks for the call, Austin. Thanks for uh, turning, Austin, your great note into a call so we can help other stackers as well. If you've got a question for us, uh, you can write me like Austin did, joe at stackingbenjamins.com. You can uh, just go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail, though, and uh, leave a message, and we'll help a lot of uh, stackers answer the same questions that you may have. All right, that's going to do it for today. Hey, a big thanks, as I said Monday, to people that have left us a, a great review of the show. Obviously, a lot of people don't know anything about the show and they go looking at reviews. That's the first place that I look. And when they see positive reviews that make sense, if you like the show, please give us a, give us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcast. Anonymous acolyte gave us this five-star review. Not too horrible. After years of being enticed by the handsome men in suits on wall street and their siren song about the Forex market. Oh boy. Listening to Joe and OGs like taking an ice cold shower in a blood curlingly frigid bathtub of common sense. There you go, Anonymous. Highly recommend if you're a masochist who likes ruminating on the excruciatingly painful folly of your past mistakes derived from woefully inadequate financial literacy prior to finding Stacky Benjamins. 10 out of 10 recommend. Anonymous, it's a lot of big words there, but I think I get it. I think Anonymous likes us, OG. They like us. They really like us. I'll take it. It's good. And finally, if you'd like to have better financial advice and it's time to hire a financial planner, OG and his team are now meeting with people like you. So head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG to set up your meeting. And we talked about asking questions, getting to know people, knowing the fit. That's the first step on any journey. Stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG begins that process with OG and his team. All right. That's going to do it for today. Doug, man, take it from here, buddy. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headline. Don't invest in things you don't understand, especially if you're just jumping in for a massive return. Second, take a lesson from Cassandra Descent. Looking to pay off debt? If you think you truly deserve something, realize, like Cassandra did, that the true path to deserving it is to afford it. You'll appreciate whatever it is you're chasing so much more if it doesn't mortgage your future. But the big lesson. So it turns out that Midnight Rush is an absolute hack. Tenth place. Tenth place. Next time I'm better on Silver Blur, who I've been told is the fastest asthmatic horse the world has ever seen. Drinks on Doug at the Sizzler. To learn more about our guests and for more resources, you can head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. To learn more about Cassandra, head over to her website, cassandradescent.com. That's Cassandra, K-A-S-S-A-N-D-R-A-D-A-S-E-N-T-D-O-T-C-O-M. I, I probably didn't need to spell out that last part, but I mean, the beginning of that, that's a tongue twister. This show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Taylor Stevens, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here. Trust me, this well-oiled machine didn't get like this all by itself. 
SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Speaking of horse races, when I went to Oaklawn with a couple friends who grew up here in Northeast Texas, not only is going to a storied track like Oaklawn, which has been around for a long, long time in Hot Springs, Arkansas, it's a beautiful track. It's a beautiful old facility. Not only does that have a lot of tradition, but I found out that these guys from Northeast Texas also have some traditions. So we drive up I-30 to a place, uh, the Caddo exit. And as we get off the little loop there, there is a shell gas station. And one guy that we're with, whenever he goes to Oaklawn always picks up, not the little thing they give you with the little data about the jockey, the horses, you know, their tendency to go up fast or fade or how they do over different lengths, what their last five races been, all this stuff. He gets this big thick book that also has uh, some commentators, who these guys, you know, they're the people that predict who's going to win, right? And this guy says that uh, the, the magazine's always paid for itself. He's got this particular guy that he follows, buys his picks, follows those picks, and wins some money. By the way, it did not happen when I was with him. <laughs> but what did happen also at this Shell gas station, it turns out that these guys do, is uh, they got chicken gizzards, fried chicken gizzards. What am I supposed to do with that information? Have you had them? What do you think? Neither have I. <laughs> I have I have not. And they get back in with their fried chicken gizzards. Like, Joe, you want some? <sighs> Just had I, I I filled up on gizzards this morning. <laughs> I'm good. I had them for breakfast also. I'm I'm fine, thanks. I don't want to be a pig. You guys eat them all. Actually, I take that back. I think they were chicken livers. But anyway, is it the oh. same thing? I don't know. Yeah. Fried chicken livers. It was fried chicken something I'd never eaten before. But anyway, I look at my buddy and, and I just thought to myself, oh, gee, I'm like, when in Rome, man, when in, when in Rome. It's like when we went down to uh, the uh, stockyards, we first moved to, not first moved to Dallas, but we'd been, been here for a year or two and in-laws were in town and like, got to do the Texas thing. Drive to Fort Worth and do the stockyards. So we do all that. That's it's cool, right? It's kind of neat. And then we go to lunch and we order up uh, some food and and the waitress asks uh, if we'd like to get some calf fries. That we did that on the way home. That was the second part of the story. So 
So we get calf Ooh, fries. fries. Mm. Ooh, I'll take some calf fries. I don't know what they are. But they sound amazing. They come out and I'm like, oh, I know what this is. <laughs> if you don't know what they are, you might you might also call them uh, Rocky Mountain Oysters. Yes. Is that, a, is that yeah, another phrase? I think that's another term. So they kind of go around the table. <laughs> the boys, you know, my, my father-in-law, he's like, oh, yeah, they're good. My wife's like, hell no. I'm like, I got it. Yeah, fine. Said, okay, yep. It's fine. Whatever. Half of one. The boys chuck a couple down and I can tell, uh, I don't remember which one this was because it was so many years ago, but it was, they were younger. <laughs> and uh, so, you know what those are? Those are horsing down, you know, uh-uh, what are they? And uh, so I so <laughs> kind of whisper it. They're cow testicles. And one of my kids starts crying and goes, <laughs> he goes, am I going to start peeing out of my mouth now? Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month, and I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.